Alrighty, Mark 10, verses 1 to 12 says this. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? Oh, hey, I, I, I think it's at the bottom of the, of the presentation. I don't think I moved it up. Are they there? Okay, yeah, slide them up. Thanks. Okay, cool. Sorry. We'll get, we'll get the slides back in here. Awesome. All right, Let, let's take it from the top. And, there, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to him, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command, commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces a wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if he divorces her, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word, uh, thankful for its um, constant provision in our lives uh, of wisdom and of direction. Uh, thank you that it, that it points us to you in, in everything, in every circumstance. Uh, Lord, you exalt yourself um, through all things. And so, God, we pray that even through this message and through this topic that you will be uh, lifted up and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right, so we're back at it uh, here, Mark chapter 10, and you know, starting the new year with a question about divorce, so uh, just another joy of expositional uh, preaching, just working one passage at a time. This is not a passage I would choose to preach on, but, uh, but the Lord has given it to us, and it's important for us uh, to look at how Jesus responds to a test from the Pharisees. And so we're going to pick this apart and kind of look at what's happening uh, and then provide some application around, uh, around what Jesus, how, how Jesus responds to this, uh, this, really this entrapment question that the Pharisees have brought to him. Uh, so starting right from the top, verse, uh, verse 1, it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. First of all, where, where were they? We're going to go pull up a map here. I think there's a map. Um, Sweet. Abraham, can you confirm verbally that you've seen the map there? Can you just, just get, oh, okay. <sighs> Almost got him. Almost got him. Okay. Uh, so this is a map of where they were and where they're going. Um, so it says he left there, that is Capernaum, right at the top. And uh, over the course of this one verse, you know, it describes a number, there's probably a number of things that happened between this route, but, because uh, it's a very long route, uh, he went from Capernaum, very at the top, at the orange there, and followed all the way down to where they are now, which is this region of Perea. So it's outside of Israel, on the other side of the Jordan River, in the region of Perea. Um, so he left there and went to the region of, of Judea, and beyond that, to the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, 
he taught them something. I don't know what he could possibly have taught them, but he was teaching them about something. Anybody? I, I can see it on Isaiah's lips. He's like ready to spill the beans. What is it? The kingdom is where? It's here. That's right. The kingdom is here. That's one. What are the other two, Hattie? The time has come. The time has been fulfilled. Claire? Repent and believe. Okay, so the message, the way that Mark summarizes the gospel, the good news that Jesus is preaching, is that the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is present, and repent and believe in light of that. Okay? Um, and just so you know, like I've, I was looking up repent and believe and like in the other gospels and wondering, like, does this same message kind of show up? And it does show up in a different way. In Matthew, in Matthew, like 15 times, the word fulfill happens. Okay? He doesn't like, encapsulate the message as the time is unfulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. But 15 times compared to two in Mark, it says this was to fulfill. Okay? So the idea of fulfillment is very much present in Matthew. Uh, and his message, he says, uh, and Jesus was preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. Okay? So the same message is there in Matthew as well as in Luke. Uh, Jesus is telling us, I have fulfilled the old covenant. The kingdom of God is present here, and your response to the kingdom of God being present ought to be to repent of your brokenness and believe on me. Okay, so this is the message. I know, I know by the end of this, you're all just going to be shouting with it as fast as the kids, okay? I mean, the kids are, are knocking it out of the park with answering these questions. Adults, I mean, I don't know, like, how many times we've got to teach on this to get this. Okay, all right. And <laughs> the mouth of babes, there you go. Um, all right, all right. So today he's teaching them on the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. And as he is teaching, Pharisees come up to him and start asking him questions. And over the course of this time in Perea, there's actually three topics that Mark calls out as uh, being discussed during this. The first is marriage, and particularly divorce, which is yay. Um, and then children, and then wealth. Okay, so three topics we're going to talk through over this week and next week marriage, children, and wealth. Okay, so today we're going to dive in just to marriage part. I was thinking about taking on children, but I couldn't really get through the marriage piece. Um, it was just taking up too much time. So, um, so we're just going to focus on marriage and divorce today, verses 2 to 12 of this section. And then literally like half a chapter later, we're in the last week of Jesus' life for the rest of the book of Mark. Okay, so just to reset us from like two weeks from now until Easter, we're in the last week of Jesus' life as we study the book of Mark, okay? Just time frame-wise for you, okay? Okay, so uh, today we're diving into marriage and this question of divorce that comes up from the Pharisees. And so we'll start in, in verses 2 to 4. So Jesus is teaching there. These crowds are gathered to him there in Perea. And the Pharisees come up, and important to note, in order to test him. This is not a genuine question from the Pharisees. Their motive is to catch Jesus and to get him in trouble. It is an entrapment question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And in perfect Jesus fashion, he says, to what law are you referring? How do you read the law? Like, what, what part of the law are you asking about? He answered them, what did Moses command you about this? You guys say that you believe the law, and you're the, you're the teachers of the law, and you're asking me a question about divorce. What does Moses say about divorce? I mean, 
I'm not removing the law. I'm not here to abolish the law. I've told you that. So if you're so smart, what does the law say about divorce? And verse 4, it says, They said, Moses allowed a, woman, uh, allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So verses 2 to 4, we're going to dissect here for, for a minute, just park there. So Pharisees ask the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He says, did, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses said it was okay for us to write a certificate of divorce and send our wife away. Um, so verse 2, like so many of the leader's questions, it's not a genuine question. It's a question for the purpose of entrapping Jesus, for getting him in trouble. They want to kill him. They want him to die. Okay? He's, they, in their minds, he's blasphemed and said, gone beyond the bounds of what he needs to be, and they're trying to catch him and get him in trouble. Um, so just this testing question, this question of entrapment, takes us back to our geography, okay? We were just beyond the Jordan. We're not in Jerusalem. We're outside of Jerusalem. We're outside of Judea. We're actually in the area of potentially Perea. And this jurisdiction actually falls under the, uh, under the authority of Herod Antipas, Okay? Anybody remember who Herod Antipas is? Any guesses? Yeah? Mean and annoying, okay, yeah. He's not, not good. He's the antagonist, okay. He's an antagonist, sure. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah same Herod. Same, same Herod, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so remember earlier in Mark, there's another Herod talked about, Herod Antipas, and he got in trouble because... Anybody got it? You got it, Mark. I see it. <laughs> Has to do with John the Baptist? Right. Right. So Herod divorced his wife in order to marry his brother's wife, who was Herodias. And as a result of that conflict, John the Baptist was speaking out against that action. And what happened to John the Baptist? He died. And so, so why, then, would the Pharisees come to Jesus and go, hey, what do you think about divorce, Jesus, in Perea, the jurisdiction of Herod? To get him in trouble, right? They want him to come forth and say, divorce, no, you know, and just come hardline with that question. But instead, he turns it, like Jesus does, and says, what does the law tell you? Basically, what, where are you arguing from about this? Because there's not a lot of passages about divorce. I'm actually going to outline them here in just a second, because there's like five, Okay. Um, and so, so which ones are you referring to, guys? So Jesus says, how do you read the law? What did Moses say? Because I'm not removing the law, um, and, and I'm not going to abolish them. So, so how do you read the law, Pharisees? And the response is to say, Moses allowed us to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Okay, the only place in the law where it talks about writing a certificate of divorce, which is basically a document that specifies the reason why an individual is divorcing their spouse. And just as a side note, this could go either way. It's represented in, in uh, man-to-woman language, but it, it is found in evidence that we have woman-to-man relationships as well. So a woman could also give a certificate of divorce, just like a man could issue a certificate of divorce. So when you read the male language to it, you've got to read it both ways in this, in this circumstance. Okay? So, so the Pharisees respond by referring to these certificates of divorce, which are found in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. And we're going to talk through this for a minute. Jewish law permitted divorce, but debate is over what is considered a valid grounds for divorce. That is, the certificate of divorce, which would come from the husband or from the wife. 
So to quickly step back and look at, okay, what are the potential grounds that a certificate of divorce could be given? If you look up the word divorce in your Old Testament, this is what you're going to find, okay? Some Old Testament laws about divorce. I think I've got a, yeah, see? Yeah, really cool slide. OT laws about divorce. Okay, we're going to talk a few, a few things here. So to start, if they're referring to laws about divorce to Jesus, um, we have to remember that we're operating under Old Testament law at this point, okay? So under Old Testament law, this is definitely not a question in reference to the, divor- the basis of divorce being adultery, okay? How do I know that? Because according to uh, the law, adultery in marriage would end in the adulterers being killed, so if you're operating according to the law and they're asking this question about when is it okay to offer a certificate of divorce and you said adultery under the legal standpoint of the Old Testament, well, the legal standpoint of the Old Testament would say the adulterers that are found should be killed. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about something less than adultery. Uh, Leviticus 20.10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Okay. This is what happens in the case of adultery under the Old Testament law. So their question, can we write a certificate of divorce, is not in relation to someone committing adultery. Okay? All right, so the second instance where divorce is discussed, um, in, uh, in, again, verse, uh, Deuteronomy 24.1, divorce requires you to certify a reason for why you got divorced. Okay? Deuteronomy 24.1, says you can write a certificate of divorce, and on that you are writing to the public, this is why I am divorcing my wife, or this is why I am divorcing my husband. And there is debate over what those reasons were, and they ranged from, I now find this spouse unattractive, to, this spouse makes bad food, to, you know, I found some sort of indecency that I can't put up with. Okay, so the range is debated about what could be put on this certificate of divorce, but I'm telling you, it can't be adultery, because under the law, adultery is given the death penalty. Okay, um, second, uh, if in, in Deuteronomy 24.1, what, what is shared there is that if the divorcee remarries and divorces again, they can't be remarried to their first spouse. Okay, so that's Deuteronomy 2, uh, 24, verses 2 to 4. Um, and there's a couple of occasions where divorce is mentioned in Deuteronomy 22. Under these cases, what's being talked about is that permission to, uh, the permission or allowance of having a divorce is removed from two circumstances. And those circumstances are if a person gets married and then after they're married falsely accuses their spouse of committing adultery, then that individual, those individuals can no longer be allowed to write a certificate of divorce. They are glued to the marriage forever. There is no allowance for a certificate of divorce anymore. It's removed, okay, from that individual. Why, right? Because that individual has brought shame upon the one they have accused. And now they're required to bear with that person for the rest of their life. They're required to stay together, okay? Uh, So that's removed in that case. And then the other case uh, where divorce is removed is if, if two people come together before marriage, they're not allowed to be given the ability to write a certificate of divorce. The only other indication about divorce in the Old Testament, so again, getting back to what the Pharisees could be referring to, right, uh, is that priests weren't allowed to uh, marry a divorced woman. So if there's a priest 
and he's attracted to a woman that was divorced, and he's not allowed to marry her. Other people could. That was allowed for, uh, for them to marry that way, but for a priest, that was set aside, okay, as not being able to marry a divorced woman. Okay. So, all that said, if we're not talking about divorce on the basis of adultery, then the Pharisees want to know if they can divorce their spouse for any cause, right? That's really what they're asking. Is it okay for us to just divorce for whatever reason? And even Matthew, uh, in his, in his uh, discussion of it in Matthew uh, 19, 3, I think I thought I had it up here, but he says that's how they approach it. They actually say, Can't, is it okay for us to divorce for any cause? Uh, can we divorce because we don't handle money the same, or I've lost attraction to him or her, or we argue too much, or I want to divorce because I want to marry somebody else, uh, or I don't like the way they cook? Like, it, it, can we just divorce at will, basically, is, what, is what really what their question is about. And so they pose this to Jesus, and Jesus says, what does Moses say? And they say, well, he lets us write a certificate of divorce for you know, any reason other than adultery. And so listen to how Jesus responds, because, okay, basically we're saying in any of these cases they're talking about, adultery isn't even considered, and we'll address that later, but like, adultery is not even considered under their questioning. And so Jesus is saying this uh, to them, just listen to how he responds. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Some commandments in Old Testament law are called case law, okay? So the law is given to basically ensure that a bad situation doesn't become a worse situation. And so if you read on verses, uh, verses 2 to 4 of Deuteronomy 24, uh, 1 to 4, I think I actually have this up there. Um, I, I'll start with verse 1. Um, this is what it says. This is, this is the text that the Pharisees are referring to. When a man takes his wife and marries her, if he then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out, to, uh, out of her house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For this is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So what's the outline of that? I think there's another slide next. This is the outline of those four verses. This is case law. They're giving a law to say, we don't want to make a bad situation worse, and this is what would make a bad situation worse. If a man divorces his wife, and she remarries and divorces someone else, and then the first man can't remarry her. Jesus is basically telling them that they are out of context, okay? The passage is given to keep a bad situation from going worse. So yes, he is allowing that it is possible that certificates of divorce can be written. He's saying that is a possibility. And if it happens, then you should not remarry a woman that got remarried and then came back to you. There's a lot of questions about why that might be, right? I mean... But I can think of a few, right? Like if I married someone, they went and got remarried, and then I was going to remarry them. I've known them since they were just pure, right? And now they've gone and done something else with someone else. 
and then I'm going to remarry them, right? There's just a lot of complication that comes into that, and I think what the Old Testament is saying, that is something we want to avoid. And so the Pharisees are arguing about the ability to have certificates of divorce from this one passage, and a commentator I read on it put it this way, guys, you do not learn to fly an airplane by following the instructions for making a crash landing. Right? Like, like they're, they're talking about, what we're talking about is a topic of marriage. And they're saying, hey, when can we get divorced? And Jesus is saying, you guys missed the point. Marriage is about coming together. And so the question you should have as religious leaders is not, when is it okay to have divorce? But rather, how can we keep this thing together that God has ordained? He knows that their question is disingenuous. And he attacks them and says, you need to go back to the fundamental law of how God created this world. He goes on to say this, uh, that the point of getting married is to stay married, verses 6 to 9. And first of all, he goes from, uh, in verse 6, he says that God purposed men and women in creation. God purposed men and women in creation. Next slide there. Um, Oh, wait, go back. Sorry, go back. There you go. Okay, cool. God purposed men and women in creation. It says this, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So Jesus says, stop talking about what, what squabble you should consider rights to offer divorce. Rather, press into not being divorced, right? Press into God's calling on your life in marriage. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, okay? So the first statement he says, let's go back to creation. How did God make creation? He made them male and female. Jesus takes the argument from the context of a piece of, uh, Jesus takes this argument from, a, from the context of a piece of case law that was used to justify certificates of divorce in general back to the creation mandate for marriage. God made two different humans, male and female, okay? On the sixth day of creation, creating all of the land animals, God creates humans in verse 26 to 28. He says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I hate to shock you, but this is a chiasm. Um, and so we have, we have, in verse 26, he makes them in their image, gives them dominion over fish and sea, and in the middle of it, okay, he says the same thing again, repeats it in verse 28, and right in the middle he gives this beautiful poem, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. What is their purpose in this passage that's given? Their purpose is given very bluntly, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and have dominion over all that I have created, to give it into your hand, over all the living beings. Two things he's given them responsibility to do. You are created for fruitfulness. I've made male and female. As it turns out, they're attracted to one another. The result of our attraction to one another is babies. 
That's what happens, okay? Like, God wants men and women to be fruitful and display his glory over across the whole earth. He wants to show the world the beauty and majesty of his creation. And we know how beautiful that is because we see the kids in our lives and go, man, God is good. How can you take a messed up dad like this and a messed up mom like that and make a beautiful little angel that's never going to sin? All right, okay. Um, <laughs> he calls us to be fruitful, and he's made us to be fruitful. We can't keep our hands off each other, okay? We love each other, all right? That's what it is, all right? We're created for fruitfulness. Second, we're created for faithfulness. He gives them joint stewardship over the rest of the created order. We're created as male and female to be fruitful and to multiply, and we're created as male and female to come together and do something that God has called us to do. To Adam and Eve, that was to steward the created order at the beginning, and it's passed down unto us. So God purposed uh, men and women in creation in general. God also purposed Eve and Adam specifically. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So this quote goes back to Genesis 2, verses 20 to 24. The creation of man is told twice, okay? It's told a couple of times. Uh, told in the first, six, uh, in the first seven days, as well as later in, in chapter 2. Uh, Genesis 2, 20 to 24. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heaven and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found for him a helper fit for him. 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last. This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So again, Jesus is peppering them with creation statements. I'm giving you the context of those statements that the Pharisees would be aware of and trying to say, like he's saying, hey, listen, we created man and, man and woman generally. Also, God created Adam and Eve specifically for one another. Listen to how he describes this moment when not just man and woman meet each other, but when Adam meets Eve. This is not a general statement. This is a specific union moment. Just go back to this place if you're married. At the time when you saw your spouse for the first time, you weren't married yet, you fell in love. This is that moment where you fell in love. God had taken this rib out of the man and then brought the woman to Adam. And Adam writes a song. Adam sings this poem to him. He burst practically with emotion to say, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is a poem in the midst of this. He is struck by her beauty. She is perfect for him. This is when Adam fell in love with Eve. Not only are male and female created generally to fulfill God's purpose in the world, of displaying the vastness of his glory through procreation and, and throughout the earth, but God purposes specifically Adam for Eve, Blake for Christy, Marcus for Brenda, Danny for Denise, Glenn for Allison, Justin for, uh, for Lisa, like over and over and over again. God has purposed us individually for these couples, that he's, these, these people that he's brought into our lives, our spouse. 
Jesus reminds us that in marriage, two different people have become one person. As a husband and wife, the man and woman have left their family to cling to their spouse. Two individuals from different families of origin are now called to steward a new family. And now we've given up our rights to what we were in the past and are now serving in humbleness one another. Jesus says, stop squabbling about when you might be able to offer a certificate of divorce. Look around at what's happening in marriage and celebrate this beauty and press into it with all that you've got. During our Advent series, we looked at marriage in in depth through the lens of how Jesus treats the church. And and if you missed any of it, I I just encourage you to go back and take a listen on our website or through a podcast or whatever. All the messages are always there, whatever. Um, But if you you do, just at least go listen to Luke's messages, okay? Because they were very good, all right? So we talked through a handful of things. We talked through um, the birth story of Jesus, how in the humbleness, Joseph and Mary took on an impossible task. They were called to appear like they were in an adulterous relationship, having a baby outside of marriage. God told them to stay together in spite of the fact that she was pregnant before marriage. Okay, can you in humbleness take God's command to you and follow it in spite of what anybody else thinks? That's God's call for us within the context of marriage. God's call for us in the context of marriage is from Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11, where Luke challenged us to take on the model and mission of Jesus within our marriages, to seek out unity in the body of Christ, to pour out ourselves, not just as Jesus didn't consider godliness something to be grasped, we too ought to consider nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He gave his life to bringing us into one mind, the mind of Christ who was faithful and emptied himself as nothing to the point of death on a cross. We looked at the sacrificial love that is shown in Ephesians 5 and following through the death of Jesus. He calls us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And finally, we talked about the resurrection and how we are to be ambassadors of the kingdom to our spouse and our kids and our job. And today is, uh, is to point us Uh, And today we are to point one another to our eternal joy, which is Jesus. One of the things I love from what Luke said in his message was about the fact that we shouldn't be looking to one another as spouses to fill up the holes we have in ourselves. But rather, we ought to both be running hard after Jesus, pointing one another to him, and then demonstrate that very love and grace to one another from the standpoint of our relationship with Jesus. We're called to be ambassadors of the kingdom within our homes. So Jesus challenges them. He says, listen, God made man and woman. He made him different. And he purposed that. And, but he also made you as individuals in your, in your marriages different. And he called you together for a purpose that two different individuals would become one individual stewarding a new family. And then he says this in verse 9, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The realization here is that we didn't choose to be married. And we did, right? Like we fell in love, we had this beautiful story, and we got engaged, and all these things happened, right? And we got married. 
But who purposed to join us together in our marriages? God did. God joined us together. And so why would we, under like circumstances, again, we're talking about, in this context, less than adultery, why would we seek to move that apart? Because we can't get along? Because we don't agree on money? Because we don't agree on what, how we raise our kids? Because we, we don't agree on all these things? No, press in. Don't give some flimsy excuse to walk away. Press in. And don't separate what God has joined together. Jesus' rebuttal to the Pharisees is why would we squabble about when it's permissible to divorce our spouse when we ought to be completely occupied with seeking oneness with a spouse that God has given us? Um, as we finish out, I'm just going to wrap up straight. I'm going to skip talking about 10 to 12. Um, There's a lot there, but I I think I need to move to kind of what we ought to take from this. Um, Make sure I've got it all here. So we need to go with a few things, okay? Uh, If you're married and feel like things are so bad that the D word is on the table, that divorce is on the table, then I'm, I'm going to ask you to do a few things. First, get help. Get help. Okay? From brothers and sisters in Christ, from pastoral counsel, from professional counsel. Okay? We need to hear as a church that it's not shameful to have conflict in our marriages. It's not. Sometimes when you do have conflict in your marriage, you feel like you're isolated and alone because you come to church and everyone's happy and smiling and whatever. This isn't really that kind of church, but anyway. Um, but the truth is we put on faces and act like nothing's wrong. The fact is you need to be comforted by the fact that all of us are broken people trying to get through a very difficult process of living life with someone in our house that is different than us. And you are not alone in that. So if you're at the point where things are so rough in your household, then don't isolate. Get help. Your brothers and sisters have been through more than you even know. And so reach out and ask for help. Seek counsel. Okay? There's a point at which even, even brothers and sisters in Christ have, don't have the tools to help you piece apart the conversation so you can productively move it forward. Okay, it is not shameful to go to a marriage counselor when you're in conflict and cannot resolve it. For too long, that has been looked upon as something that is not okay as Christians because you should have more faith and just get along with it. But that's just not okay. If you can't work through the conversations that are here before you, then get help. There's no shame in that. God wants you to not look for a reason to jump ship, but look for every reason to stay. So get help. Uh, second, if you're in a marriage and things are rough and it's, you're looking at the person across the table and going, I don't think they're helping. I don't think they're trying. Pray. Pray. Jesus says to pray for your enemies. Okay? Sometimes the enemy is inside of your house. Okay? 
So pray for them. If you're in a place where that's where you're at, like separation, divorce is what you're thinking in your head, then pray for your spouse. You can't change their heart. Ladies, you can't change them. Okay? Men, you can't change her. You cannot change their heart. God can. And so if you're not asking God to do the work inside their heart, then we're missing a huge piece of this battle. Pray. Finally, don't be hasty. Take your time. I know that's a very hard thing to hear probably in a lot of circumstances, but do not be hasty. Take your time. Make sure you've gotten help. Make sure you've gone through every single door to figure out how can we figure this out. Don't be hasty. Take your time. Okay. I don't think it's on one of these points, so I'm going to say it now. Uh, It is important. I know I've gone through a lot about divorce. Okay, it is very important for me to say to you um, that in the Old Testament culture, the adulterer was killed, right? I told you that, right? Like, that's what happened. That's what was supposed to happen. That's not the case in Jesus' time, and it's not the case in the time of the, of the New Testament. Not the, not the case here. We're not, like, killing people for adultery, right? I don't know of anybody. Does anybody know where they're doing? I don't think they're doing that. Okay. Um, maybe some countries. I'm not sure. Um, if in your home there is unrepentant adultery and running from you, then the conversation about divorce is something that you need to talk about. That is a place where you need to, need to be praying through that seriously. If someone has left the covenant relationship and they're just pretending to be there in your home, you need to be talking about that and having serious conversation about it, saying, should I leave? And, and very important, because some of these d- verses about divorce have been used to keep primarily women into abusive situations. Okay, if abuse is happening in your home, physically or otherwise, you need help. You need to run and get help as soon as you possibly can. And that might end in divorce, and you need to know that that is okay. okay? If you're being broken in that way, you should not be staying where you're getting hurt. Okay? So I know I said a lot about, like, press into marriage, press into marriage, and what I don't want you to hear is, I'm getting beaten. Do I need to stay? Run away. Get help. Go somewhere where you can get help as fast as you possibly can, okay? All right. I know all that's really heavy. Um, I didn't choose the passage. I told you that, okay? (laughs) Um, So if you're married, again, and this is on the table, please get help. Pray for your spouse. Don't be hasty. Take your time with it. But man, do not isolate Do not run away and let this go into the night like nothing happened. Fight for it with all you can. You guys know, I I know you guys know the ramifications of divorce because I know that there are lots of us in here that have dealt with it at varying degrees, whether uh, explicitly or uh, closely related to us. It's just not possible to be in society without having the impact of divorce be here. You guys know how messy it is and how challenging it is and how, how broken it is. So we don't take it lightly. Press in and get help. Okay. Second, uh, man, church is hard. Uh, for our church, 
okay? The same amount of brokenness and differences that can exist in marriage are multiplied in a church. Not divided. They're multiplied. You take two people that have a love story, that came together and got married in a beautiful ceremony and tried to live life but still had problems, and then take, you know, a multitude of people who are also from all kinds of different backgrounds and also have all kinds of different experiences and put them in the same room together, guess what? I'm not going to ruin anybody's idea here, but none of us is perfect in this room. We are broken individuals with sin and brokenness inside of our hearts. And so for us as a church, I just want to challenge you. In a lot of churches, you can show up on a Sunday and pretend everything is okay and go back to your struggle alone. I'm challenging us to run from uh, this bent toward isolation unto one another to the point that we are fighting for one another in front of the cross of Christ. Let's not fool each other. We're all battling sin and brokenness. And that's going to cause conflict with us. God is telling us, press into unity outside of your selfish ambition, deferring to Christ who gave his entire life on the cross for you, pour it out for your brothers and sisters. Finally, uh, this, the root of conflict in marriage, in church, in, in life, is sin. <laughs> this is why Jesus, in his good news, says, the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. That is, turn from your current way of thinking, turn from it, and go a completely opposite direction. Turn from trusting in stuff of this world and now trust in the cross. Turn from trusting in your strength and now trust in Jesus. Okay, turn from it. Repent from your old way and become a new person in Christ. The only way we can serve one another as Christ served us is if we walk in repentance, recognizing, man, the kingdom of God has showed up in my life. Jesus is present with me. How can I not Turn from the beauty and majesty of Christ unto repentance. I'm undone before him. That is not an easy thing to do, to root out our sin. We have to fight to root out our sin. If we're not on the defensive against sin, we have to be on the offensive against it. Okay, I was talking to a brother about this this week, that man, he felt like, He's defending sin, defending sin, defending sin, and then he's like kind of had it at bay, right? And there's a moment where you're like, oh, I'm kind of good. Like I've got my sin at bay, okay? But the enemy isn't done fighting when you've got your sin at bay, okay? You have to move from a defensive position to an offensive position where you're fighting against that completely and going, now I'm not getting pushed uh, and suppressed by sin, but rather I'm marching forward in what God has purposed for my life. I'm moving on the offensive instead of on the defensive. And so we can't stop fighting to root out this sin. We deceive ourselves with our sin when we convince ourselves, this is the second thing, we, uh, we deceive ourselves with our sin when we convince ourselves that our sin is our sin alone. Particularly in the context of our discussion about marriage and church, 
the truth is that our sin directly impacts those around us. It can be very easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that I'm fighting sin and my sin has no impact on my brother because it's my sin. And that's just, it's a lie. Your sin is not personal. Your sin is corporate. Because when you're walking in sin and not in repentance, you are uh, taken out of position of fighting for the, for the kingdom. Okay? You've, you've, you've taken down your ability to move forward boldly because you're fighting in sin. Because you're stuck in sin. So sin does impact other people, either uh, by directly hurting them because our sin is against them, or by removing our effectiveness to be faithful to what God has called us to be. God has called us to press into one another, to challenge each other. When my brother is down, for me to lift him up. How can I lift him up if I'm down in the pit with him, right? I got to help him. I got to be ready to fight for my brother when he's down, okay? And so when, we, when, we're, when we're sinning and not fighting that, our vision is clouded and we do not see what God wants us to press into. I'll close with this um, description of how good God is in this. He once wanted to put on display how far his love would go for us, Okay? in the prophets. And if it, has anybody read the prophet Hosea? Anyone ever read the prophet Hosea? Yeah. Okay, so the prophet Hosea was called by the Lord to be a representative of God's love to Israel. This is the basic outline, okay? Hosea was to represent God's love for Israel. That was his picture in life. Hosea is God's love for Israel. And how he was going to represent the depth of God's love for Israel was to take on as a wife a known prostitute. Gomer. And he did. He said, Gomer, I want you to be my wife. And he had three children by her. And guess what? She continued to be unfaithful. And guess what? Hosea continued to be faithful. Okay? Hosea stood in a position to say, my love for you, Israel, Judah and Israel, is unconditional. I am love and I will love you no matter what happens or what you do. I am here to love you. This is how far God's love goes for us. And so we should be challenged by how deep God's love, that he would die for us while we were still enemies of the cross. That's how far his love is for us. And so, yeah, when Jesus is asked, um, Hey, Jesus, can we divorce for, you know, my wife cooking a bad meal? That's literally, that's literally some of the debate. Jesus says, you guys are so hard of heart. You have no idea what's at stake here. How much love I've poured out for you that you would say, ah, let's just call it quits. We don't get along. That's been a lot. And uh, if anyone wants to talk to me about anything I've said, if I've stepped over any bounds in any way, 
and you want to talk to me some about this topic, I want to let you know I am here for it. I am confessing that this has been a very hard message to prepare for, um, and if you have anything to say to me that's like, ah, it's a little, eh, this is my experience, throw that in your, you know, in your toolbox there or whatever, Blake. I'm here for it, and I want to hear it, please. This is not an easy topic to talk about, but I do think it demonstrates the depth of God's love for us. It is unconditional. And so I just invite you, if there's anything you need to say to me later, please approach me. Don't hesitate. I want to grow in talking about this topic. So please, I'm opening myself to you. Please do so. Um, but with that, I'm going to wrap up with prayer. Lord, we're so thankful uh, for your goodness and your mercy to us. We're so thankful that uh, you love us so faithfully, even when we're not faithful. God, we confess that we're, we're broken and, and messed up, and uh, we, we sin against our spouse, we sin against our kids, we sin against our co-workers and our friends, and, and God, we're, we're broken. And we thank you that we don't have to stay in that brokenness, um, that because, not because of anything we've done, but because of what you've done, Jesus, we can stand righteous before you. You are our righteousness, as we sung earlier. You're our righteousness. You're my one defense. I have nothing else to cast before the throne of God except Jesus. And so, God, we pray oh, you would give us the strength to apply this um, love that you demonstrate to us unto our marriages. It would recognize this, the, the, the goal of you bringing us together is to keep us together. Um, and so, God, I pray we would fight for it. Uh, you say it's a mystery that marriage, husband and wife, is a picture of Christ in the church. And so, God, we don't want to break that in any way. We don't want to break that display before you of this beautiful union that you've prepared to be a, a glorious representation of how much you love us. And so, God, please uh, help us in humility, encourage and strengthen each other, in our marriages here in this church, uh, but also as a church with one another with so many differences and backgrounds. They wouldn't just isolate with our problems, but they would come together and press into each other to become what you have called us to be as a body of Christ. You've called us to be one, that the world may know that you sent your son to die for them. How can they know unless we are one? And God, we take up this messy fight to be one. Lord, help us, give us the strength to do that. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.